Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Joel. Hey. Hey. How's it going? It's good. You know what? I'm, um, I'm feeling good. Good. It's cold again. I, we're just going to keep talking about yeah. it being cold yeah. until it is not cold anymore. And then so when it's May. hot. <laughs> and then when it's hot, I'm going to be like, damn, we're going to be so there. shocked <laughs> that it's hot outside. Yeah. Oh, man. But hot gives us a, a myriad of things to do out of doors <laughs> as opposed to right now. So, so uh, when I've been, you know, listening to our past episodes, for I realize I give you a lot of crap about not seeing a lot of movies. Well, like, I. You know what? It's it's warranted because I, I have not seen a lot of movies. So, it, meanwhile, mm-hmm. there are actually a lot of books I haven't read. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, there's a lot of books that we all haven't read, right? right. But, like, like, I'm a lady and I'm a librarian, technically. Sure, And, yeah. like, there are books that I should have read by now, okay. including every single book by Jane Austen. Never, oh. never read a thing. Never read a lick of Jane Austen. Sure. Uh, but her stuff, it's, you know, pretty popular, been adapted oh, yeah. for a lot of modern day things. I know a lot um, of ladies who yeah, love her work. Ladies love Jane Austen. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually what I'm going to talk about today. Oh, good. Is Good Quiet Aunt Jane, Jane Austen. So... Our girl, Jane Austen. Um, She's an English novelist who's known for her social commentary and masterly use of both irony and free indirect speech. So Jane eventually became one of the most influential and honored novelists in English literature. And again, in popular culture, her novels and her personal life have been adapted into theatrical plays, Hollywood Mm -hmm. films, and television programs. Yes. Unfortunately, there is little biographical information about Jane Austen's life except for some surviving letters and also the biographical notes that were written by members of her family. Mm. Um, during her lifetime, Jane wrote approximately 3,000 letters, but only about 160 of them still survive. Wow, yeah. really? Mm-hmm. Huh. So, uh, Jane Austen was born in Steventon, Hampshire, England in December 1775. Mm. Her father, George Austen, was a rector, which is a parish priest. Mm. Um, and her mother, Cassandra Lee, um, she came from a family that had a higher rank than that of the Austens. So, the mother was a little bit richer than the father. Cassandra is an interesting... Like, Cassandra sounds modern, but it's obviously ancient. Oh, yeah. Because Cassandra was the seer or the oracle. Yes, the oracle. In ancient mm-hmm. Greece. But you don't hear it in that in-between time. <laughs> Between ancient Greece and today. Yeah, well, we're in the 18th century. Great. We got a Cassandra. Austin. Mm -hmm. Great. So uh, Jane was the seventh of eight children. Um, Mm. Her siblings were James, George, Edward, Henry, Cassandra, Francis, and Charles. Um, So Cassandra was her older sister, Mm. as well as the name of her mother. Because, again, there were only like eight names back then. Yeah, and Cassandra Jr. really rolls off the tongue. Uh, so in 1783, Jane and her sister Cassandra were tutored in Oxford, and then they later attended a boarding school in Reading. And around this time, Jane actually nearly died of typhus. Um, after 1786, Jane never lived anywhere else besides with her immediate family members. And the remainder of her education came from reading, guided by her father and older brothers, James and Henry. Um, Jane had easy access both to her father's library and that of a family friend. And mm. together, these collections amounted to a pretty large library covering a plethora of topics. Her father was also tolerant of Jane's experiments in writing and provided both Jane and her sister Cassandra with expensive paper and other materials for 
they're oh, writing nice. and drawing. So beginning at age 11, um, though it could have been earlier, they're not really sure, uh, Jane wrote poems and stories for her own and her family's amusements. And these are now referred to as the juvenilia. So it's they um, they survived. They have survived. Oh, yes. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and by 1793, at age 18, Jane began to write longer, more sophisticated works. Mm. Her first mature work, as they call it, um, was composed when she was about 19. It was a novella titled Lady Susan, uh, written as a series of letters that's known as epistolary form. Ooh, and this early fiction was preserved by her family, but was not published until long after her death. Okay. So, for Jane, poor Jane, romantic okay. life was complicated by the fact that she had no dowry. Oh, um, that's tough. Her father had financial difficulties, and there wasn't any money to pass along to his two daughters. And Jane knew that she'd have to overcome the lack of dowry by being so charming or witty that a man just could not refuse her. Get it? <laughs> yeah. Um, at age 20, she had a flirtation with a young man named Tom Lefroy. See, now, <laughs> flirtation at that time was like... I. I dropped my eyes. handkerchief and he picked it up and returned it to me. Yes. And, and I learned his first name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so apparently she, she danced and she like chatted with him at a ball and she wrote to her sister, Cassandra, imagine to yourself everything most profligate and shocking in the way of dancing and sitting down together. Oh, He's no. a very gentleman-like, good-looking, pleasant young man, I assure you. Hey, <laughs> take my word for yeah. it. He's a sex machine. We, you would be shocked at the way that we sat next to each other. <laughs> we Wink. almost touched bums. <laughs> Watch out. Um, the problem was Jane's social status was not high enough, and oh. Lefroy's family separated the two lovebirds. No. And then Lefroy got engaged to another woman Ugh. that had a large fortune. Of course. So. Uh, this is kind of you know, famous to Austin biographers and people who follow Jane Austen yeah. as being like her first lost love. And you kind of might see snippets of this throughout her, um, throughout her novels too. So how old was she during this time or approximately? She was 20 when, you know, oh, okay. with her first flirtation. Yeah. First Tom flirtation Lefroy. at 20. Mm. Mm, damn. Um, in her early twenties, Austen wrote the novels that later became Sense and Sensibility. Sure. That was first titled originally. It was titled Eleanor and Marianne. Oh, okay. Okay. And she also, this is when she first introduced Pride and Prejudice, which was originally called First Impressions. Mm. Um, Her father sent a letter offering the manuscript of First Impressions to a publisher soon after she finished it in 1797, but his offer was rejected by return post. Mm. Um, Austin continued writing, revising Eleanor and Marianne, and completing a novel called Susan, which later became Northanger Abbey. Mm. In 1803, Austin sold Susan for 10 pounds to a publisher who promised early publication, but the manuscript language in his back room until it was repurchased in 1816 for the same price the publisher had paid her. And when Austin was 25 years old, she and Cassandra moved with their parents to Bath, England. And during the last five years, she lived in Bath. So from about 1801 to 1806, um, Austin began one novel titled The Watsons, which she never completed. Lest you think our girl Jane was all work and no play, Jane excelled at the game Bilbo Catch. <laughs> what? So... That's Please tell me what Bilbo, Bilbo catch is. A Bilbo is. catch is a wooden handle with a pierced ball attached by a string. What we might call like cup and ball or oh, something okay. similar. So the player would toss the ball up and try to catch it in a cup on top of the handle. So when Jane needed to rest her eyes after reading or writing for long periods, she often played some Bilbo catch. There, I don't know what it is. I had like a vision of it, you know, like a day, like a daydream of what it looks like. And that's just for some reason for me, it's just so tragic. This poor woman in her in her oh. bedroom 
room, just like all yeah. you hear is just like the clink, clink, click, clink, clink, clink. I mean, she was apparently very good at it. Her like oh, nieces yeah. and nephews wrote about it, you know, and recollections and stuff. And they said <sighs> that she could catch that ball more than a hundred times in a row. Uh, I mean, and she yeah. only stopped because her arm got tired. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so sad. That like that breaks my heart that she's really good at just catching a ball in a that's cup attached to a- that's attached to the ball. Uh, oh, Jane. No, well, I mean at least embroider or something. Jeez. I mean, whatever. She's she, dead. She so. also um she brewed a lot of beer too. Oh, what? yeah. What? Like that, of all the things you were gonna say next, that was you definitely she that. just brewed some beer. Yeah, actually, um. Back in the 18th century, like brewing beer and meat and stuff, that was mm-hmm. actually like women's work. It oh, was, that's you know, because water was, <laughs> as we all know, terrible. Very dangerous. Um, and, yeah, filled with germs and Ugh. terrifying parasites. Things. Yes. Um, so drinking beer was, you know, obviously one of the safer ways to imbibe your liquid. And it was actually like a woman's job. And apparently their family had like a very good recipe for, oh gosh. Um, no, it's, it wasn't like birch beer, but it was something similar. Like sarsaparilla or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting because nowadays beer brewing is... is Very the, manly. It is very uh-huh. like hipster, bearded, yes. like fade haircut, kind of Nazi hipster And that actually came about thing. because um, as like factories became more prevalent and mm-hmm. and beer moved to being like a company produced thing, yeah. that's when it became like a very masculine... Sure. Um, you know, trade, uh, yeah. trade. Exactly. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. it was men who were going to work and it mm-hmm. wasn't so much like a home based thing yep. anymore. That's very interesting. Yeah. So we could say like, if we were to start a brewery, you and I, oh, which yeah. we might miss info pod sure. brewery, we could have our own Jane Austen line of <gasps> oh, beer yeah, of Sesperlis be or whatever. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Let's stop this podcast. Put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. Yeah. So in December, 1802, a neighbor of the Austins whose name was, Harris Big Wither. No. Is the... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just rejecting that knowledge. No. Is it next? Big Wither or big is it... Big hyphen Wither. Is it big with one G or two? Two Gs. Okay. Still, that's silly. Harris Big Wither. Okay. He was 21 at the time. Um, he proposed to Jane, who was okay. almost 27. Ooh, old oh, maid. So, yeah. So, uh, a few weeks short of her 27th birthday, Jane had no source of independent income and was relying heavily upon her brothers to support her. Mm. Um, and so, in dire financial distress, Harris's looming inheritance was, logically, very appealing. And Jane, unlucky in love and still unpublished, thought that she had to accept him. So, upon agreeing to the proposal, Jane realized she had made a terrible mistake. Yeah. She broke off the engagement the following morning. So hmm. Jane's non-traditional decision and rejection of marriage resulted in various family tensions. Oh, and this incident may have served as inspiration for several instances and character development points in both Pride and Prejudice and uh, Mansfield uh, Park, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Okay. And in Jane's unfinished book, The Watsons, her main character noted, quote, to be so bent on marriage to pursue a man merely for the sake of situation is a sort of thing that shocks me. I cannot understand it. Poverty is a great evil, but to a woman of education and feeling, it ought not. It cannot be the greatest. You know what? Good for her because that's, you know, that feels very modern Mm -hmm. because, you know, assumptions are made that in that time period that a woman should just get married so that she can be married so that she could have at least a little bit of money and be taken care of into her old age and have children and all this stuff. So the fact that she thought about it overnight and was like, you know what? I really can't do this. And at 27 was like, no, I'm not going to marry you. And like affecting her her future in that way. You know what? 
kudos to Jane. Yeah. Because that's a tough decision to make, especially in the Cheers 1800s. to Jane Austen. Yeah. Uh, so after Jane's father's death, after Mr. Austin's death, yeah. um, her brothers contributed funds to assist their sisters and widowed mother. And together, like a group of them, all moved to Southampton in 1806, and they shared a house with their brother Francis and his family. And in 1809, Jane's brother Edward provided the women a comfortable cottage in the Villa of Chawton near his Hampshire Manor house. And this was the beginning of Austin's most productive period. In 1811, at the age of 35, Austin published Sense and Sensibility. Mm. She did not put her name on her published novels during her lifetime. Um, oh. She would only say they were by a lady. Oh, okay. And it wasn't until after her death that her brother revealed her name to the public. Interesting. Um, Pride and Prejudice followed in 1813, and um, that title page said, like, public, you know, by the author of Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> um, oh. And then Mansfield Park was published in 1814, and then Emma in 1815. So the title of each book referred to one or two of Austin's earlier novels, capitalizing on her growing reputation, but still not providing her name. Yeah. So it's early 1816. <laughs> Jane's oh. feeling a little under the weather, but she Poor ignored honey. the warning signs. No, don't don't ignore the warning signs, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> By the middle of that year, her decline was unmistakable, and she began a slow deterioration. No. The majority of biographers rely on a 1964 retrospective diagnosis that listed her cause of death as Addison's disease, which mm. is a long-term endocrine disorder in which the adrenal glands do not produce enough steroid hormones. Oh, and as her illness progressed, she experienced difficulty walking, and she lacked energy. And by mid-April 1817, she was confined to bed. Um, Austin died in Winchester on July 18th, 1817 at age 41. Get out of here. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know she and, was so young. And her last words, because I know you love that. <sighs> um, her sister Cassandra asked her if she needed anything, and Jane responded, nothing but death. <gasps> wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> like it must have been bad. Yeah, she not like you know of... what? Can I have some more chocolate cake? Yeah, before give me a piece of that delicious chocolate cake, or you know what? I could go for some fried chicken before <laughs> before I meet my my maker. last meal. Yeah, but no, just She's give me death. Praying I'm for a sweet lot of... death. Yeah, <sighs> poor honey. Yeah. Um, so Henry Austin arranged for his sister to be buried in the north aisle of the nave of Winchester Cathedral. The epitaph composed by her brother James praises Jane's personal qualities and mentions the extraordinary endowments of her mind, though it did not explicitly mention her achievements as a writer. Oh. And after Jane's death, Cassandra and Henry Austin arranged for the posthumous publication of Persuasion and Northanger Abbey as a set. Mm. And Henry Austin contributed a biographical note, which for the first time identified his sister as the author of all these novels. In 1832, Richard Bentley purchased the remaining copyrights to all of her novels and over the following winter published five illustrated volumes as part of his standard novel series. And in October 1833, Bentley released the first collected edition of her works. Since then, Austen's novels have been continuously in print. So her books have been in print always since 1833. That's amazing. That's crazy. And her stuff is in the public domain, which is why you can see so many like adaptations and people oh, who just okay. like publish her works at this yeah, point. Yeah, I was curious about that because there are a lot of adaptations are like reworks and exactly. whatever. And we'll That's talk cool. about some of those. Ooh, okay. So Jane's six main novels. Okay. I'm just going to give you some talking points so you can recognize like what facts kind of go with which, sure. which novel. I'm not going to summarize them all. Okay. <laughs> um, so first we have Sense and Sensibility. Yes. It was originally titled Eleanor and Marianne. My favorite. It was published in 1811. So the title, Sense and Sensibility, it refers to Eleanor and Marianne, the Dashwood sisters. So Sense 
means good judgment, wisdom, or prudence. And the sensibility means sensitivity, sympathy, and emotionality. Yeah. So like to our modern ears, those kind of sound like the same word. Like if you have some sense, you're also sensible. But back then it kind of... It had a variation. It it had like a, you know, a specific meaning. So they referred to both of those sisters. So that was Eleanor and Marianne Dashwood. So the novel follows the Dashwood sisters as they move with their widowed mother from the estate on which they grew up, Norland Park, to their new home, Barton Cottage. The four women there must move to a meager cottage on the property of a distant relative where they experience love, romance, and heartbreak. So Eleanor is sense. Marianne is sensibility. And that's what you need to know about that one. The movie is excellent. It's... Fabulous acting. It's beautiful sets, incredible costume. Um, uh, who's the actress who plays Marianne? What's her name? Oh, God. Is it Emma Watson? Emma, Emma Watson. So, Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. First of all, one of the greatest actresses of any generation. I would make the argument. But both her performance when she says to Marianne, when she's like so she's so emotional Mm -hmm. and she's trying to say, you know, like you don't understand how I've been feeling and that I've been trying to keep it together. And she's like trying to hold back tears and she takes her fist and she like presses it against her chest. And it is just every time I've seen this movie, like 18 times, just cry my eyes out. It's great. Gosh, that and in, um, love actually Mm -hmm. when she's in the bedroom. (gasps) Oh my God. Everybody. If you, if you have a heart, you can't not cry. That scene in love actually. (laughs) And then over the soundtrack, she plays the beautiful and then Joni Mitchell song. The Joni Mitchell song, both sides now. And she's like in the bedroom and she's trying to keep it together because she realizes that the necklace wasn't for her. It was for her husband's mistress. And she's just like, I'm just going to calm down in this bedroom and I'm just going to get she it together. She knows she has to go take her, her kids. child, the third lobster <laughs> at the birth of Jesus Christ. It's She's fabulous. She's just a great actress who can really evoke an emotion that everyone has you everyone has been in that moment where you've been so like overcome with sorrow, but you got to keep it together because you're going to be in public or you don't want to show it. It's amazing. She's incredible. So Oscar yes. voters for your consideration. Please, Emma Thompson for a <laughs> lifetime achievement award. Please. Anyway, yes, yeah, sense of sensibility anyway. is very good. Yeah. Please watch it. Uh, Her second novel, Jane Austen's second novel, Pride and Prejudice, originally titled First Impressions, was published in 1813. So this has Elizabeth Bennet, who is the intelligent, Mm -hmm. playful, attractive, witty, but with a tendency to judge on first impressions. We have Fitzwilliam Darcy, who is a wealthy 28-year-old owner of the renowned family estate of Pemberley in Derbyshire. Mm -hmm. And while being handsome, tall, and intelligent, Darcy lacks ease and social graces. And so others frequently mistake his aloof decorum and rectitude as further proof of excessive pride. Mm. Okay. So this book (laughs) charts the emotional development of the protagonist who learns of the error of making hasty judgments and comes to appreciate the difference between the superficial and the essential. And this is the book with a very famous opening line. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Yes. Very famous opening line. So um, the course of Elizabeth and Darcy's relationship is ultimately decided when Darcy overcomes his pride and Elizabeth Uh, overcomes her prejudice, prejudice. Mm. leading them both to surrender to their love for each other. The characters constantly exclaim over Mr. Darcy's 10,000 pounds a year, but how rich is that exactly? So in 2013, the Telegraph actually calculated that adjusting for financial changes, a decent estimate might be 12 million pounds or about 
18.7 million US dollars a year. Yeah, I'd get on top. I'd get on that. Good. Yeah, I'd get on that in a second. Mm-hmm. Who cares if he's aloof? Yeah. We got two sides of the house. You got some I got the West Wing. But hey, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, let's talk about some mouse urine. What? <laughs> no, so, I talk about that enough at work. <laughs> so there is a major urinary protein uh, that's a MUP for short. You're killing me Named right now. Named Darson. After Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy. Why? Scientists have a, have a sense, they got of, a humor. sense of humor. That's so true. this MUP is a male pheromone that stimulates female memory and sexual attraction to an individual male's odor. Ew. So that's a, a Darcin is a protein <laughs> and gross in a major that's, urinary I will protein. say that's good trivia though. Yeah. Well, I got to follow that up. Um, the, her third book was Mansfield Park. It mm-hmm. was published in 1814. Um, this one features Fanny Price, who is adopted into a family of a rich uncle at the estate known as Mansfield Park. Mm. That's all I'm going to tell you about it. Oh, okay, great. Yep. Great, mm-hmm. done. Um, then we have Emma, published in 1815. So this is about Emma Woodhouse. She is clever, rich, beautiful, spoiled, headstrong, and self-satisfied. She greatly overestimates her own matchmaking abilities and is blind to the dangers of meddling in other people's lives. Mm. Her imagination and perceptions often lead her astray. She eventually falls in love with George Knightley, brother of her sister's husband. So her brother-in-law. And the movie starred the goopy one herself, Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, yes. With a flawless English accent. The goopy one. The goopy one. The fifth book was Northanger Abbey. Um, Originally, it was, um, Jane had titled it Susan. But I don't know why, because there are no characters in the book named really? Susan. I don't know if maybe it just got edited later oh, or like something. Oh, like she just changed the yeah, name or something? Yeah, I was something. very confused. That's I weird. Was to read about it. Um, anyway, so Northanger Abbey was published in 1818, which was the year after Jane died. So oh, this okay. was a posthumous, posthumous publication. It is the shortest of Jane's original six novels and likely chronologically the first novel that she completed. Oh, really? Um, huh. It's about Catherine Moreland, who has an overactive imagination that leads to misconceptions, which cause stress between character relationships. Uh, basically, she thinks that because a character isn't like still distraught over his wife's death from nine years earlier that he must have murdered her (laughs) yep wow um and this book is considered to be a parody of gothic fiction so instead of perfect heroes heroines and villains she offers flawed rounded characters who behave naturally and not just according to the demands of the plot Mm -hmm. so um yeah there's some overactive imagination there and her last novel persuasion which was originally titled the elliots um again published in 1818 so it's the year after she died set in bath england it's about anne elliott and captain wentworth so anne fell in love with captain wentworth but was persuaded by her mentor lady russell to reject his proposal because Mm. of his poverty and uncertain future and her youth Mm. Anne rejects another man's proposal a few years later knowing that she loves wentworth still of course and after seven years of no contact, they meet again, and this sets the scene for some humorous encounters and a second chance at love and marriage for Anne. Um, it's accepted as Austen's most maturely written novel. It shows a refinement of literary conception, indicative of a woman approaching 40 years of age. Oh, so Ancient. Yeah. Oh. Um, she also wrote two other novels that were not finished, um, but were published posthumously. One was called Lady Susan, published in 1871, and the other is Sanditon. Um, it was originally called The Brothers, published in 1925, and this is an unfinished novel. Okay. So because Austin completed the setting for Sanditon, it has been a favorite of continuators, which are later oh, yeah. writers who try to complete the novel within Austin's vision while emulating her style. So sure. you might see a lot of different versions out there about Sanditon that are like, you know. Just someone else finished mm-hmm. it in her voice, yeah, basically. exactly. 
Uh, we have some loose adaptations of Austin's works in popular culture. And I know that you know all of these, obviously. I, yeah, So absolutely. Bridget Jones's Diary in 2001 um, borrowed its classic plot elements from Pride and Prejudice. And the character of Mark Darcy, played oh. in the film by Colin Firth, also played Mr. Darcy in the 1995 television edition mm-hmm. of Pride and Prejudice. So it is he is named in deliberate homage to the original character. Um, there is a movie out there called From Prada to Nada, which oh, is no, the retelling it. of Sense and Sensibility. Uh, I really like that one. Um, we have Death Comes to Pemberley yes. from 2013. It's a three-part murder mystery television drama based on the novel of the same name. That's a continuation of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, authored by P.D. James, mm-hmm. um, who is the authoress of a lot of really good uh, crime fiction novels. Yeah. Starring one Adam Degleish. I'm a big fan of P.D. James. And the novel um, Children of Men, which is like a futuristic sci-fi oh, that wow. was uh, ended up being a movie starring Clive Owen. Look at me. Oh my yeah. God. Ooh. See all these bing, names bing, I'm pulling bing. out of nowhere? Yeah. So um, I know that we've all heard of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Absolutely. 2009 by Seth Graham Greene. Did you know that its thematic sequel was called Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters? I know. I I didn't know there's little women and werewolves. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah. um, So Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters was also 2009, but that was written by Ben H. Winters. Um, Jane Austen, credited as a co-writer on both books. (laughs) Well, good. I'm glad they gave her props. um, Winters also went on to write Android Karenina. Oh, God. All right. That's enough. (laughs) I like it. Um, we have obviously the most, probably the most famous ab- adaptation of Emma is Clueless from 1995. What? I didn't know Emma was Clueless. <gasps> All right. You're going to get mad at me now. Oh, I am. You're going to get mad at me. I, I can't even. I haven't seen Clueless. She's taking off her cans. She's getting up and walking away. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, I never got a chance. Like I never got around to it. You know what it is? You got to stop watching documentaries on death metal bands. <laughs> Did and I watch Ted? I watched that documentary about Lamb of God last night. But um, <laughs> no, here's the thing. When I was a teenager, I realized this. I just watched West Side Story on repeat for like four and a half years. I didn't watch any other movies. Like, was it on VHS tape? Yeah. And then I would stop after uh, her brother dies, after Fre- uh, Fredo dies. Fredo. Fredo? No. Francisco? Oh my gosh, I forgot already. Do we even know? Fredo was in Godfather. <laughs> Either way, it's like I can sing every note of West Side yeah. Story. And I practically have the choreography. But you've down never for seen one of the most America. seminal teenage movies. I have never seen one of, of all time. Seminal teenage movies. I'm sorry. All right. Well, to everyone else out there. Sorry. Uh clueless it's again. Modernization of the novel Emma. <laughs> um, and then also um Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason, which is um, Helen Fielding's 2001 sequel to Bridget Jones's Diary. She actually loosely based that on the plot of Persuasion. So oh, okay. she's, uh, Helen Fielding is kind of drawn upon a Continuing couple of different that. Austin novels for Bridget Jones. Um, if you consider yourself a Janeite, which is a devotee of the work of Jane Austen. Not an Austenite? No, they call it a Janeite. That's weird. Yeah. Eh. You might also be interested in the Jane Austen Center in Bath. They have a whole big like exhibition there of Mm. um, like a historic house that, you know, she once lived in for a few years. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, There's the Jane Austen Society of North America known as Jasna. They have a website and they produce um, like a a quarterly journal all about Jane Austen. 
Um, there is the Jane Austen's Fiction Manuscripts Digital Edition, which is an online website that gathers together in the virtual space of the web some 1,100 pages of fiction written in Jane Austen's own hand. So Ouch. interested researchers can now access, read, and compare high-quality images of original manuscripts that are physically scattered around the world in libraries and private collections. So unlike the famous printed novels, all the which were all published in a short span between 1811 and 1818, the manuscripts in this digital repository trace Jane Austen's development as a writer from childhood to the year of her death. So from 1787, where she was about 11 or 12, um, to 1817, where she was age 41. Hmm. So these pages represent one of the earliest collections of creative writings in the author's hand to survive for a British novelist. Wow. And we'll tweet out the link to yeah. the Jane Austen's Fiction Manuscripts Digital Edition, which is, which is a cool project. That's really cool. Um, Rudyard Kipling even published a short story titled The Janeites about a group of World War I soldiers who were secretly fans of Austen's Aww, novels. That's kind of cute. And that um, was in his short story collection, Debits and Credits, from 1926. Cool. So, yeah. Okay. Just a few more facts. No, please. Um, in 2007, the article Rejecting Jane by British author and the director of the Jane Austen Festival in Bath. Um, his name was David Lastman. He examined how Austen would fare in the modern day publishing industry. Uh -oh. So Austen's work submitted under the pseudonym Allison Lady, a play on Austen's A Lady, okay. was rejected by numerous publishers. After making only minor changes, Lastman sent off opening chapters and plot synopses to 18 of the UK's biggest publishers and agents. He was amazed when they all sent the manuscripts back with a polite but firm, no thank you, and almost all failed to spot that he was completely ripping off one of the world's most famous literary figures. Uh, did they, though? Because that doesn't make any... Like, she's one of the most yeah. read, They were published. just like, oh, well, thanks for your submission. We're not really sure this really has a market. But, see, I don't... I don't believe that because I can imagine that there was at least someone who read those manuscripts. There was one of the, from what I read, one of the 18 publishers came back to him and realized and was like, what this had is happened. Jane Austen's yeah. persuasion or whatever. Yeah. That blows my mind. I yeah. refuse he to believe He even kept it. like the same opening lines from the novels. Get you out know? Of here. Yeah. Oh, geez. So it's, I think it's pretty funny. That's, that's yeah. interesting. Yes. Um, I you know we have a lot of feelings here about Mark Twain. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, I got lots of complicated feelings yeah. about uh, Twain's hatred for Austen's writing seemingly knew no limits. He <laughs> once said that her books madden me, so I can't conceal my frenzy from the reader, and therefore I have to stop every time I begin. Every time I read Pride and Prejudice, I want to dig her up and hit her over the <gasps> skull with her own shin bone. What? With her own shin bone? Yeah. Mr. Twain, have you no, <laughs> you no respect? <laughs> But also, it's funny that he mentions every time he reads Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, like <laughs> he's he is furious like once a and year, new. It's like February third. He he's cracks like, it right. open. He fills himself with fury, but he finishes reading the book. So, Mark Twain, great writer, sure. <laughs> Whatever. Here's the thing. Something tells me I get like he's just a curmudgeon. Sure. And he really he really cultivated that persona of himself where he's just like and he's like, I tell funny stories and say funny things, but like in an angry way. And it it's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> like he's I he becomes a parody of himself, yeah, I feel. I can see that. Digging Jane Austen yeah, up and hitting her over the head with her own shin bone. That's shameful. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a huge fan of her work, but come on. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
Julie's like, let me finish. Here we go. Uh, The Bank of England 10 pound note, also known as a tenor, is a banknote of the pound sterling. It Mm. is the second lowest denomination of banknote issued by the Bank of England. And the current polymer note first issued in 2017 bears the image of Queen Elizabeth II on the obverse Mm. and the image of Jane Austen on the reverse. Good. The note also includes her quote, I declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. That's nice. So that's what I wanted to tell you about Jane Austen and her that novels. That was great. I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, and now it's time for the quiz. Ooh, yay. The quiz is called Scents and Spendabilities. This is a quiz on smelling and world currencies. <laughs> Question one. Not related to a former manufacturing plant or anything you screw into a socket. What is the two-word name for the neural structure that transmits smell information from the nose to the brain? Question two. With a wiggle room of one either way, how many of the 28 European Union member states have adopted the euro as their common currency and sole legal tender? Need a hint? The answer is both the atomic number for potassium and album by Adele. Question three, quite possibly the longest novel ever written about an involuntary scent memory. A la recherche du temps perdu is the monumental seven volume masterwork by what French author? And for bonus points, what is the little cake that set off this whole shebang? Question four, the Republic of India, many countries on the Indian subcontinent, and the popular video game, The Legend of Zelda, use a currency whose name is derived from the Sanskrit word for stamped. What is the name of this official legal tender? Question five. A 2012 research study found that poor odor discrimination, basically a bad sense of smell, is an indicator of what type of personality disorder characterized by persistent antisocial behavior, impaired empathy and remorse, and bold, disinhibited, egotistical traits. Some fictional examples of characters with this diagnosis include Hannibal Lecter, Patrick Bateman, and Lord Voldemort. Question six, mark it down. The 23 world currencies named dollar have the old 16th century Bohemian silver coin called a taller to thank for their origins. In what current country would you find the former kingdom of Bohemia and the town that is the namesake of this word? Question seven, ah, the smell of a rainstorm. This word derived from the Greek for stone and the fluid that flows in the vein of the gods is the earthly scent produced when rain falls on dry soil. What is the name of this distinct smell? Question eight. Three true or false statements about women appearing on international currency. First statement. Pocahontas was the first woman ever to be featured on United States currency. Second statement. The Swedish National Bank currently circulates Krona printed with famous ladies Greta Garbo, Birgit Nielsen, and Astrid Lindgren. And third statement. The first first lady of the United States to appear on U.S. paper money was Dolly Madison. Question nine. Which person holds the Guinness Book of World Records title for most currencies featuring the same individual? And finally, question 10. On a season six episode of 30 Rock, Tracy Jordan reveals that he has had no sense of smell since childhood. Dr. Spichemin removes what from Tracy's nose, restoring his ability to smell and turning him into a model employee for TGS. I'll give you about a minute to think, and then we'll be back with your answers.
All right. Oh, Are you ready? Man. Yeah. Right. I think I can do it. Question one. Not related to a former manufacturing plant or anything you screw into a socket. What's the two-word name for the neural structure that transmits smell information from the nose to the brain? I'm going to call that the scent plug. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I like that. Is that it? <laughs> uh, it's the olfactory bulb. Oh, the that's olfactory bulb. That's what I was trying to get the clue there. A former <laughs> manufacturing plant. Oh, uh, factory. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, so the olfactory bulb sends olfactory information to be further processed in the amygdala, the orbitofrontal cortex, and the hippocampus, where it plays a role in emotion, memory, and learning. Man. Question two. A wiggle room of one either way. How many of the 28 European Union member states have adopted the euro? I need a hint. The answer is both the atomic number for potassium and an album by Adele. So you said one either way? Yeah. I'm going to go with 20. You Get it. Okay. The answer is 19. 19, yes. So the um, the EU member states that use the euro are Austria, Belgium, Cyprus, Estonia, Finland, France, Germany, Greece, Ireland, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Malta, the Netherlands, Portugal, Slovakia, Slovenia, and Spain. Nice. Okay. Repeat them all to back to again? me. Okay, here we go. Um, so established <laughs> in 1999, the euro is the second most traded currency in the foreign exchange market after the United States dollar. Mm. Question three, quite possibly the longest novel ever written about an involuntary scent memory. Allure Cherche du Temps Perdu is the monumental seven-volume masterwork by what French author? And for bonus points, what is the little cake that set off this whole shebang? I have absolutely <laughs> no idea. Please tell me what this is okay. and what any of it means. This is by Marcel Proust. Oh, Proust. You know him. I know Proust. So um, the novel, the seven-volume novel, oh, God. it's been um, translated as like remembrances of things past. Oh, okay. Um, so his full name was Valentin Louis-Georges-Eugène Marcel Proust. Oh, jeez. Okay. The cake from this story is a petite madeleine. So that's a small sponge cake oh, um, yeah. that has a distinctive shell-like shape acquired from being baked in a small shell pan. They use a Genoise cake batter. Mm. And the flavor is similar to, but somewhat lighter than, a sponge cake. Traditional recipes of a, a petite madeleine include very finely ground nuts, usually almonds. Um, and it, you know, it's that really delightful. Delicious. So anyway, the point of this book is like he's, the first book, Swan's Way. His character sitting there, he dips his little petite Madeleine into a cup of tea and then bites into it. And then all of a sudden, all these memories of his, you know, childhood at his aunt's house wash over him. And then he writes about it for like seven books, seven more. That sounds volumes. super boring. It's, um, I mean, I've never read it, no. but um, it has been called like one of the like most uh, amazing novels of the 20th century. Yeah, you like, know, it reminds me of um, a couple of years ago, Carl Ova Nausgaard, mm -hmm. who was a, a Scandinavian writer. He wrote up like a four volume, like sort of fictionalized biography of his life called My Life. And mm. it's, I read the first book and it was, it he told stories about his life that didn't go anywhere. Sure. But I was compelled to keep reading. And I think that's why it became so popular okay. because you wanted it to go You're places. Invested. Yeah. You wanted it to go places and his writing style was very um, uh, compelling. Mm -hmm. But uh, like halfway through the book, I was like, I don't know what the hell is yeah. going on. It's just like a stream of consciousness. Like, and then I walked down the street and you're like, oh no, he's going to get hit by a car. <laughs> but then he doesn't. It was so weird. Anyway. <laughs> Marcel Proust. Proust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Question four. The Republic of India, many countries on the Indian subcontinent, and the popular video game The Legend of Zelda use a currency whose name is derived from the Sanskrit word for stamped. What is the name of this currency? I'm going to go with Ocarina. No, that's not it. I know. I know it's not it. What is it? (laughs) Rupee. Rupee. Oh. Yeah, that's what the currency is in India. Um, As of the first week of February 2018, one Indian rupee equals 0.016 US dollars. Oh, that's not a lot. No. (laughs) Uh, Question five. A 2012 research study found that poor odor discrimination, basically a bad sense of smell, is an indicator of what type of personality disorder? Some fictional examples include Hannibal Lecter, Patrick Bateman, and Lord Voldemort. That's a psychopathy. Yes. Yes. So um, psychopathy is usually diagnosed using the hair psychopathy checklist revised, known Mm. as the PCLR, which analyzes at least 20 different aspects of someone's personality and case history to determine if that person has the disorder. Past research has found that those afflicted show lessened functioning in the orbitofrontal cortex in the front of the brain, the area that controls planning, controlling impulses, and following norms. And the two scientists who did this 2012 study... Um, their names are Mehmet Mamut and Richard Stevenson of Australia's Macquarie University. They found that those who showed the highest levels of psychopathic behavior failed to identify smells and could not discern the difference between two smells. I feel like there's a lot of internet neckbeards <laughs> who have taken that test and is like, yeah, I'm a psychopath. Like, you shouldn't even oh, talk gosh. to me. Well, it's, I mean, they're out there. Don't it's get me wrong. It's interesting that they can try to pinpoint this, but the but maybe one of the problems with this is that psychopaths lie yeah, a lot. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. even if like they're being tested, like and if they are aware that they're being tested on that, they might give you false results that yeah, way. But exactly. Ooh, that's interesting. Interesting. Oof. I don't yeah. want to delve too deep in that in my brain. <laughs> I don't like that. Question six. Mark it down. The 23 world currencies named dollar have the old 16th century Bohemian silver coin called a taller to thank for their origins. In what current country would you find the former kingdom of Bohemia and the town that is the namesake of this word? Hey, oh. Do you know Do you know where Bohemia was? Um. Oh God! Is in the it's Eastern Europe. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna go with mm, Tur. Nope. Uh, Azerbaijan. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's just, the Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Damn uh-huh. it! That was in my documentary last night uh, about Lamb of God. So you watch. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you watch those death metal documentaries. And he got arrested in the Czech Republic mm. in Prague. Well, jeez. Oh, so the name Taller, T-H-A-L-E-R, was used as an abbreviation of Jockum Taller, where there were silver mines, and the first mm. such coins were minted in 1518. The original Bohemian Taller carried a lion from the coat of arms of the Kingdom of Bohemia and on its reverse side. Later shortened in German to simply taller, T-A-L-E-R. Mm-hmm. The word crossed over into various other languages. Um, in Swedish, it was the dollar, D-A-L-E-R. In Norwegian, the dollar, D-A-L-A-R. And the Dutch, dalder, D-A-A-L-D-E-R. Mm-hmm. So the dollar arrived in the colonies via New Amsterdam. And when time came to choose a currency, dollars were already popular throughout the American continent. And that is what they decided on. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, question seven, the smell of a rainstorm. The, this word derived from the Greek for stone and the fluid that flows in the veins of the gods is an earthy scent produced when rain falls on dry soil. What is the name of this distinct smell? That's called ozone. 
No? Okay. So ozone is the smell that you get before a storm comes. Oh, no. Because it's the smell of like the current yeah, in the like air. Yeah, it's like the electricity or whatever. So the smell of rain falling onto dry ground is called petrichor. Oh, geez. I was so, not going to get that. Uh, falling water disturbs and displaces odiferous molecules on surfaces, particularly on dry ones, and carries them into the air. So if you happen to be near vegetation, these molecules may come from plants and trees. Mm. And if you're in the city, these odorants rise up from concrete and asphalt. So either way, it's a smell you probably recognize, even sure, if you didn't absolutely. know the term for it. So petrichor. ozone is before a storm, and petrichor is it's during the storm. Okay, yeah. good to know. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, question eight. Three true or false statements about women appearing on international currency. <sighs> okay, I'll try. First, Pocahontas was the first woman ever to be featured on U.S. currency. I'm going to say false. True. Shit. She was part of a tableau on the $20 banknote in 1865. Uh, okay. So not during our lifetimes. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> statement two. The Swedish National Bank currently circulates Krona printed with famous ladies, Greta Garbo, Birgit Nielsen, and Astrid Lindgren. I'm going to say true. True. Yay. They appear on the Swedish 100 krona, 500 krona, and 20 krona, respectively. Nice. Uh, question th statement three. The first first lady of the United States to appear on U.S. paper money was Dolly Madison. I'm going to say false. False. Yes. The first floatist on paper money was Martha Washington. Nice. Um, she was on the dollar silver certificate from 1886 to 1896, and she was moved to the back of the certificate in 1896, mm. then removed entirely in 1899, Come and on. eventually replaced by her husband, George, on the one dollar Whatever. Bill. What did he ever do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lazy ass. You have to listen to Hamilton. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, no. But, I mean, add it to the list. We should just start like a long... Like scroll of things that I need to see, read, and hear. <laughs> Question nine. Which person holds the Guinness Book of World Records title for most currencies featuring the same individual? I have no idea. You can idea. make a guess. Uh, for like current day, present country? day. Yeah. Okay. Present day, shh, this person appears on the most currencies in the world. I'm going to say uh, Queen Elizabeth. Yes. Yeah. Queen well, Elizabeth yeah. II. So she has appeared on currency in 35 different countries since she ascended the throne in 1953. Mm. Uh, Queen Victoria comes in a distant second place, appearing on coinage in 21 countries. Oh, okay. And King George V has his face on 19. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so, great. See, I got another one. Ladies. Go. Ladies rocking. Ladies be on paper. Of, yeah. Woo. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and finally, yes. question 10. On a season six episode of 30 Rock, Tracy Jordan reveals that he has had no sense of smell since childhood. Dr. Spichemin removes what from Tracy's nose, restoring his ability to smell and turning him into a model employee for TGS. I, I'm going to be so mad, but I'm going to say a Lego. No, I'm wrong. It is I? a Buck Rogers decoder ring. Shit, it's a Buck Rogers decoder ring. I did. I can see that yep. scene where he's like pulling it yep. out of his nose. So, uh, yeah, Tracy's new sense of smell associates Liz's hair pomade with the father oh, yeah. that abandoned him. And he begins behaving himself to impress her. Yes. So although she's thrilled with his behavior, uh, Liz finds out he has abandoned his family in the process and asks <laughs> Dr. Spichemin to reverse the operation for Tracy's own good. So they just put the ring back they in his nose. They put the ring back in his nose. It's great. It's a good episode. It's a late season an episode but it's good <laughs> awesome so, that was yeah, great that was my quiz thank you julia that was yeah. awesome it's great <laughs> um so we have oh we have listener uh listener submitted trivia, trivia. so yeah. today 
We have um, some listener submitted trivia from our friend Zach. Ooh. Um, so uh, Zach is from Twitter. He is at ZPace from space. So Zach tells us that the animatronic shark in Jaws was nicknamed Bruce after Spielberg's lawyer. <laughs> Uh, Bruce the shark from Finding Nemo was then named after the animatronic. And oh, I, that's funny. yeah, I tweeted him back and said, um, I wonder if, uh, Bruce the shark in Jaws was also vegetarian because, <laughs> you know, fish are friends. Fish are friends. Not, not food. food. Yeah. That's a great movie. I love it so much. <laughs> so, um, many thanks to Zach awesome. for thanks, sending Zach. us his, uh, listener submitted trivia for that. And if you want to submit some listener submitted trivia, to us, mm-hmm. please tweet at us at misinfopod. If you also want to get in touch with us, you can email us at misinfopod at gmail um, We also have a Facebook page, misinformation colon a trivia podcast. Mm-hmm. Feel free to give us your listener submitted trivia there. Any yeah. any of those, you can email it to us. You can tweet at us. You can send it on the Facebook page. Please don't be shy. Trivia is non hierarchical. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> trivia you want to send us, we're going to appreciate because yes. at, at pub trivia. ladies love cool trivia. Ladies love cool trivia and gents too. We're yeah, not going to be, we're going to be equal opportunity here. <laughs> As always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and whatever podcast app you prefer using our RSS feed. Mm-hmm. Um, Lauren told us all the ways you can contact us. Um, and, we also have a website. Oh yeah. Triple dub dot misinfopod.com. Um, thanks to everybody who's sent us messages and rated and reviewed us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we love it. So, so. Uh, please continue to listen to us. And thanks for listening today. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.